0: Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we wanna hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but but you're not close to a local campus, we wanna help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of Point Church Online. And we hope God blesses you. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, uh, Romans, I I preached this a few weeks ago. I want to read it again just because it's kind of the springboard from which the rest of Romans uh, gets off to. So, Romans 1 uh, 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, like I said, this, this is kind of the launching pad. So essentially in verse 1 and 2, one specifically, he says, let your life be a living sacrifice to God. Essentially, Jesus doesn't want your heart. He doesn't just want your heart. He wants your life. He wants the entirety of everything that you are, a living sacrifice. It means you crawl up on the altar daily, die to self, and, and give your life all of it, to God. Then he says, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then he goes on in verse 3 through 8. We talked about that. It's not just about giving yourself to God. You're supposed to give yourself to God, but you're also supposed to give yourself to one another, specifically within the body, within the church, as you are to live to serve the church. Very specifically, he says that, You are to take care of one another uh, and and to serve one another. And so that's where he went through uh, uh, three through eight. Then he gets uh, what we talked about last week, nine and 10, where he says, you you can't really serve one another unless you love one another. So it talked about what is real love and what does that look like? We, we talked about the different cultural ideas of love and then what biblical love is and, and specifically that are there people within this body, this congregation, these specific walls that you would say, I would lay down my life for you. I love you. I've got your back. You've got my back. We're, we're fighting for one another to be more like Christ to be more godly to be more holy and we we are fighting sin together we are we are holding each other's arms up that's what we do and so that's that's where he has been and, uh, and we and, and all of that springboards off of verse 1 that says by His mercies, it's by His grace, it's by His mercy that we have been saved and it, and, it, and it catalysts everything else. Our service of one another, our love for one another, our love of God stems from He has shown mercy and grace on us by sending His Son down on a cross that we would be saved. And so all of that is, is coming from His grace and mercy uh, upon us. And so the rest of the chapter... Uh, today and then what we'll talk about next week he kind of machine guns through a lot of different commands so it's going to feel like do this do this do this do this do this do this, do this. so if you can escape this place today without having some kind of conviction then I'm gonna let you come and teach next week right because even myself I'm reading through these I'm like Oh wow! Okay, I've got some some growth to do. I got some praise the Lord that this is a progressive sanctification because I got some progression that still needs to happen in my own life, right? And so He's going to hit through a lot of these things of uh, essentially what a life should look like, what a life does look like after it has been regenerated, after you have been saved. Now the things and and the bottom line I want to uh, that I'm going to give you today is, is marks of mercy. That the things we're going to talk about today, they're not how you are saved. You don't do these things to become saved. You don't do these things to earn salvation. But once you are saved, your heart begins to change. Your life begins to change. A regenerated person begins to live in this way. And that's what we're going to kind of dive through and what Paul takes us through. So let's get started. Uh, Starting in verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So so Paul commands Christians to not be slothful in zeal. Now the word here, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. It's lazy. Do not be lazy Christians is essentially what, what Paul is is saying here. And 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 Jesus used in, in Matthew 25. Uh, he describes a lazy servant who rather than investing his master's money, he, he buries it and he doesn't do anything with it, right? And so essentially Paul is using the same wording here to say, God has given you gifts. He's given you abilities. He's given you talents. He's given you resources. He's given you breath in your lungs. He's given you days with your family. Don't waste them. Don't be lazy with them be, be active, be doing something with the gifts that God He has given you. Do not be slothful in zeal. Use the gifts, use the things that he has given you to serve the church and to accomplish the mission and the vision that God has given the church. And so he's saying, don't be lazy, lazy Christians. Uh, you know, and I know in our cultural context, American Christianity, this is pretty true of most every church that, A generous percentage would be that 20% of the church does all of the work of the church. Uh, And I know that's not true around here, but most churches, right? Uh, But here's the thing like, a lot of folks treat the church as like we're going down here to Chili's, right? We sit down at Chili's, you and I, let's go have dinner at Chili's. We sit down, the server comes, takes our order, brings us our food. We eat, we pay. We tip, we leave. And the whole time we're there, we are there to feed ourselves and to be served. And that is really the, 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 antithesis of the attitude that should happen when we come into this place. It should not be chilies. It should not be, how can I eat and be served, tip a little bit, and then leave. That is uh, that, that, that would be what Paul is kind of preaching against here. It, it, in reality, we should model Christ's attitude when Christ said, I did not come to be served. But to serve. So when we walk in these doors, our attitude should not be okay. All right, my 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 meat was undercooked. Uh, you know, uh, essentially, you know, my, my worship was not good enough. The sermon was uh, it's it's pretty great as usual. Uh, you know the uh, uh, you know all all these things. I didn't get a friendly greeting. I don't whatever. But. In reality, we should have the attitude of Christ. Give us your heart, Jesus, which says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So we walk in these doors saying, how can I serve my brother and sister in Christ? How can I put their needs above my own? How can I, how can I pour out to them? What are those ways? And so th- these are the things he's saying. Man, we we can't be uh, uh, lazy. We, we have to be fervent in spirit. And, and essentially, like, In reality, our mission and vision is too big for us to get wrapped up in ourselves. God has given us the greatest mission that anyone has ever been given in the world. Go into all nations, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have the the call, the great commission to make disciples of all nations. It's the greatest mission ever given. And that's been given to us. And so we have this great mission. We can't afford to be lazy. We can't afford to not be uh, uh, passionate and, and, and have great zeal and have great work ethic and to, take the, uh, uh, t- to, to do the mission that God has given us. He has given us this, this huge and incredible uh, mission. And I, I heard a story about a communist, uh, atheistic communist, who was speaking to a Christian. And he said to him, If if I believe what you believe, I would crawl through a field full of glass to make sure everyone heard about Jesus. So here's an outsider, a lost man, a communist man, looking at the message that we preach and then looking at a life that represented the message that they preach and said, that doesn't add up. If I believe what you believe, I would walk through hell to make sure everyone knows Jesus. Here's a man who looks at our message and saying, the messengers aren't matching the message. Something's off. That's what Paul is saying. Don't be be slothful in zeal. Be be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Right? Uh, In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. These are very aggressive words. He also says that, uh, uh, that upon his church, the gates of hell would not prevail against the, the bride of Christ. Meaning that the, the, it's the gates of hell that is on the defense and the bride of Christ is pushing the message, pushing the gospel into all the world. Again, we, we are to not be lazy believers. We have to accomplish the mission and vision in our own lives and in the, in, in the world. And uh, you look at Revelation. Revelation, Jesus gives a warning to the church, and he says, uh, he says, "I'd rather you be hot or cold, because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to puke you out of my mouth." We can't be lazy believers. We we have a too great a mission. Uh, then he says, "Be fervent in spirit." The word fervent means to to boil so he's saying that our passion should boil up in us there should be no greater passion in our lives than Jesus I'm I was never more thankful for Jesus than last night I'm glad that my greatest passion is not Tennessee football because that would be a terrible terrible thing to put all of my hope in because they are awful right and so There should be nothing in my life that rivals the fervor and spirit, that rivals the passion that I have for Christ. That that means anything, whether that be hobbies, sports, my kids, my job. There should be nothing that is higher passion in my life than Christ and the glory of God. That should be my greatest passion. Now, I can be passionate about other things, but those passions should dim everything. Greatly in comparison to my passion for Jesus and the glory of God. And so they they should not rival one another. And that's what he's saying to be fervent in in spirit. Get after it. Christ should be your greatest aim. I I think of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a a missionary uh, to Ecuador, to the Aka Indians. Jim Elliott Goes down, sharing the gospel with a people who've never heard the gospel. At great risk to his life, obviously. And and before he was killed, uh, and and his whole team killed by these Indians, he he would say things about his time. He would say, he said, uh, um, He said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Here's a man feeling called by the will of God to take the gospel to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And he said, I'm, I'm going wherever I'm going all in. This is the greatest passion of my life. An- another godly man, Jonathan Edwards, he wrote in his book, 70 uh, Resolutions. Uh, he said uh, with all, uh, 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 that, he, that he was resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Uh, and, and obviously, Jonathan Edwards had great impact on all the world. He said, Wherever I am, I'm going to live all I got for the, for the mission and the vision and the glory of God. Everything goes into that. Everything. Now, so I know some of you might be thinking, well, that's too radical, too fanatical. It's crazy. People are going to, you know, start like stepping back from me if I talk Jesus too much. Like, that's crazy. Uh, but you know what's ironic to me? Uh, I watched the Titans game Thursday night, right? I watched the Titans. And uh, there are grown men, and if this is you, we we may get you in for counseling. Um, There are grown men who go to these and paint their entire bodies, right? Wear flame hair, (laughs) right? They buy all the gear to get and scream their lungs out at these Titans games. And we look at them, we're like, no one doubts their love of the Titans, right? And they're like, most of us look at, we see them on TV and we're like, that dude's a freak. You know what we say? We're like, oh yeah, that's awesome, right? Listen, that guy is fanatical about the Titans. No one's questioning his zeal by the Titans. No one, now it's unfounded zeal, right? Because Titans are terrible too. Like, why would you do that? I don't know, but they love the Titans, Right. Here's the deal. Anytime we start, like, getting passionate or zealous about Jesus, it's like, whoa, pump the brakes, buddy. Now, you can do that about football, but now we're talking about a whole other thing here. You're not allowed to get passionate and radical about Jesus. But here, here he, here's Paul saying, be fervent in spirit. There should be nothing that goes above our zeal for Christ. No sport, no children, no job, Nothing. You know, I, I you know I, I go back to two because I know most of us aren't going to paint our bodies up and go to a Titans game. I get that, all right. But where we do like struggle is a lot of times in our in our in our nine to fives, right? In our jobs, and uh, the scripture says you can't serve both God and money. And. He's saying, man, nothing. Your paycheck should not even match your fervor for the, for the Lord. And all that you do for the paycheck should be in bringing glory and honor to Jesus. You should be using that as a tool to bring glory and honor to Christ. Now, uh, then he says, serve the Lord. At the end, the Greek word here means enslaved. Enslaved. Serve the Lord. Enslaved. You know, it's funny in church world. We almost have to do like marketing to the congregation to get people who can't claim the name of Christ to actually begin to live like they claim the name of Christ. Here's the word it says enslaved to the Lord. You know the word volunteers, not in the Bible? <laughs> get volunteers in your church. No. It says, if they are the Lord's, they are slaves to the Lord. I am a slave to the Lord. You know what I'm supposed to do as a slave to the Lord? I'm supposed to do whatever my master tells me to do. Whatever his word commands me to do. If he tells me to serve the church, I'm going to serve the church. If he tells me to lay down my life, I'm going to lay down my life. That's what slaves do. They do what their master's tell them to do volunteers bow out when it gets tough volunteers do what they want to do slaves do what their master tells them to do He says we are enslaved enslaved to the Lord again uh, uh, who are you enslaved to are you enslaved to your children are you enslaved to your paycheck it's it's funny to me I say funny it's not it's not really funny uh, but how, how many of us will uh, skirt uh, our church responsibilities or our or, or walk with God or our discipleship of our family or service of the bride because we're too busy, because we have to make this uh uh this check because we have to do these particular things to make a living but and and then okay i'm too busy from my nine to five so i don't have enough time to give up a sunday too but so then who are you enslaved to i'm burnt out Uh, okay well you're not burnt too burnt out to quit your job so how are you too burnt out to serve the church or to do what god's telling you to do Do you see how we've got it upside down? All of our lives should be about the mission and the vision and the glory of God. From our 9 to 5 to our Sunday mornings, every piece of it should be about him. There should be nothing that rivals him in our fervor of spirit. Nothing in our zeal. Nothing in service of the Lord. Um, Let's let's read on. Verse 12. It says, and and these flow together, and I'll, I'll piece them together for us, but... In verse twelve rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer now there if you 've been around uh, church any amount of time, you have heard uh, something called the prosperity gospel. Essentially, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel that says, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you are not that, then you must be doing something wrong. You must not have enough faith. You must be getting it backwards. And that God never wants you to go through hard stuff. He only wants to pour out blessings and money and health and wealth and all, all those things. That would be the antithesis of the scripture. That would be contrary to everything we see in the Bible. You look at the Bible. You look at Job. If you've ever read Job, Job was probably one of the most godly men to ever walk the planet. And Job had it all, right? He had all the blessings of God and everything gets stripped from him. His his livelihood, his, his, his cattle die, his animals die, his wealth gone. Houses collapse on his children. His children are killed. Well, at least he's still got his health. Nope, health, gone. He's covered in boils all over his body. His wife looks at him and says, Job, just curse God and die. And Job says, no, I I can't. So here's a godly man. That is not the health and wealth gospel, right? Right? Continue on through the Bible. You look at Daniel, the story of Daniel. He gets thrown into a pit of lions because he was praying. So did he not have enough faith? Right? Like, no. Okay, okay let's keep going. John the Baptist. John the Baptist is put into jail and then beheaded. Getting your head cut off is the antithesis of being healthy. Those don't go together. I'm really living a healthy life, right? No, done. You you look at Paul. Paul. Paul, Paul, shipwrecked. How many ever times flogged? He's stoned. He, he's he's uh, got got bit by snakes. He's he's. I mean, just, the man is. I mean, a ridiculous life. And none of us would look at him and say, "Oh yeah, that, that he's." He is healthy. I mean, God, I mean, no. Like, and then you look at our Savior himself. What? what? He, he gets flogged. He gets a crown of thorns placed into his head. He's mocked. He's beaten. He's put on a cross to die. Nails in his hands and feet. And he dies. It's not health and wealth. God doesn't always want it to be. Cupcakes and rainbows and unicorns. It's not going to be. He never promises that it will be. But he is saying that he will be with us. And that even in those things, he is the greatest hope. That's why Paul says here, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Tribulation, that word tribulation here is... uh, uh, a, a word, um, the word tribulum, which was an instrument used to crush corn and flour. So essentially, they, they would crush this corn and flour, tribulation, right? And so he's saying, be patient in tribulation. What does that mean? It means, okay, we're gonna experience some tribulation, right? We're gonna we're going experience some some times when it's not great, when life is not good, when there's stress and things just beating us down, killing us, right? Like that that just, that, that are awful things. That's what's going to happen. And he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Okay, so essentially, how can we then be patient in, in tribulation? He's saying we can be patient in tribulation because we have a hope that goes beyond this body. We have a hope that goes beyond this world. Look, things are going to come. You're going to lose your job. You're gonna get cancer. Your your kids are going to rebel. There's gonna be things that happen in your life that don't go as planned. You're like, that's not gonna happen to me. Listen, let's come to reality for a minute. There's coming a day when everyone, unless Jesus comes back, we will all find ourselves in a box six feet underground. That's not health and wealth. We're all going to die. At some point, it's inevitable. There's only been one person escaping. So we're going to die. And so so here we have a tribulation that happens on our life. How can we get through the tribulation? Because we rejoice in hope. What is our hope? Our hope is not in our jobs, it's not in our kids, it's not in our houses, it's not in these bodies, it's not in our health, it's not in our minds, it's not in anything in us or in this world. Our hope is that we are saved, that we have come to Christ, we've believed upon him in faith, and that this life is not the end life, that we will spend eternity with the Father, because of the Son, and because of that hope that we have, we can go through any tribulation in this world because we know this is not the end. And anything that our Father deems necessary to happen on this world, that it come from Him, then it's good. It might not be good, but it will turn out for our good. And so we rejoice in hope in Him. We can go through anything. So come come what may. come, come what may we have a hope that's greater than our tribulation we have a hope that's greater than our bank accounts we have a hope that goes beyond our children goes beyond our parents it goes beyond this world and that's the hope that we cling to now how can you do that by the last statement. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. You know, all throughout scripture they point to what you do during the tribulation times determines where you cling to, right? Like, uh, and and a lot of things like point to what your heart loves most. Your treasure points to what your heart loves most, right? It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? And, and, and oftentimes, and this is natural for us, but when we go through tribulation, we reach out to God more, right? That's natural. Like some people preach, well, you need to be reaching to God like that all the time. Well, yeah, you do. But, I mean, let's face it. We have this flesh, and we're fighting sin ourselves, and we know we cling to God more so during hard times, and so he's saying cling to me rejoice in the hope right so we have to in order to do that we have to be devoted to prayer we have to know who our hope is right it can't just be a prayer before meals it can't just be a prayer with our kids before bed it can't just be the prayer to thank god you know when we're on 24 and we lock them up and we almost hit the car in front of us and right after our cuss word we say thank you god i didn't hit that car right our prayer life has to go beyond that right we have to begin calling out to God and asking him to move. I pray, I hope that you are uh, having a personal devotional time, that you have a time, that you that you s- spend time with the Father, that you spend time reading the Bible. And I would encourage you that before you start reading this thing, that you spend time, not not a lot of time, if, if, if you, but just some time just saying, God, I need you right now because I Given myself, I would not have the spiritual eyes to see what you would have for me in this Bible. And even in my flesh, I would read what I want to out of this and not what the truth is. So help me, Father. So our, our, we have to begin praying about everything. Like I think about my drive to work, right? I got a couple of options. One, I can turn on 104.5. That's what I listen to. Um, or I can spend some time praying. there. The, the, or a lot of a lot of times, man. I'll just I'll think I'll you know daydream or whatever. I'm just thinking through things instead of just letting my mind wander. Focus about those things and, and and take those things to the Father. Take those worries I have and bring them to the Lord in prayer. Take the tribulation I'm going through and say, God, show up in this. I need you in this. I want you to 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 show up in this in a mighty way. All right, so so rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And then let's move on to verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Re- real quickly, this contribute is specifically financial need. This word is dealing with financial uh need. To contribute to the needs of of the saints. Now, I know a lot of you as soon as I say money, you tighten up. Uh, and it's all right. I I get it. I do too. Uh um, but Jesus said, of all the things that Jesus said, fifteen percent of what he said was about money. So that's five percent over the tithe, right? So that's great. Uh, so here's here's Jesus again. He's he's he says, well, here's Paul saying, contribute to the needs of, of of the saints. And so again, these are marks of mercy. These are not how you are saved, but what rules your life. And essentially, Paul's saying what you do with your money is a litmus test to see where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? I'll show you where your heart is. Is your treasure in Christ and in the glory of God and his mission going to the ends of the world? Or is it somewhere else? Contribute to the needs of the saints. Take care of one another. Uh, meet each other's needs now there are a lot of motives for giving uh, or not giving some wrong motives for giving would be like like Jesus preached about the Pharisees would come and make sure everyone saw them giving money right and so that so that they could use this pride I want people to lift me up I want people to care about me it's all about it's all about me getting you know what I deserve and so those are some wrong ones. So another wrong motive for not giving uh, would be greed or, or the hope of trying to build, accumulate some kind of your own wealth or, or things of that nature. Essentially, Paul is saying, guys, everything, again, everything in your life, whether it's your money, whether it's your, your kids, your job, your, the shirt on your back, everything is to be used for the mission and the vision of God. Everything. And so he's saying, again, like Acts 2, where they the believers came together and all the needs were met. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And then he says, uh, uh, he moves into the hospitality. He says, and seek to show hospitality. The Greek word for hospitality is essentially be kind to strangers. Be kind to strangers. Again, we have to fight this one, man, because um, this... This um, has turned into our culture even stronger since the invention of social media. But what has happened is we've become this go into our home, shut our garage door, hermit crab in our house until the next time we have to get out and leave and scurry to maybe work or the grocery store and then hurry up and get back home and get in our house and shut the garage door. And this has been our culture. And we we don't feel like we do that because we get on social media to see what's going on out there. Well, there's life happening out here. We'll we'll get on we'll get on Facebook and see. No, he's saying, man, show a hospitality. Actually, I know this is going to be radical, but bring people into your homes, not for your own self promotion or your own self gain, but for the love of them, and for the love of the gospel. That you would bring people in. This was uh, this had to happen in the in the culture back in the day because. They didn't, have, you know, they didn't have middle school auditoriums. They didn't have embassy suites. They didn't have gathering points. They would say, hey, come to my home. We'll come together. We'll eat together. We'll talk about the Bible. Now, just to clue you in a little bit about Jewish culture, if you've ever been to Israel or studied Jewish culture at all, they love arguing. Like I, I, one of my classes in college, we had to go to a synagogue. And then after the synagogue, we all ate. And then after, the, after you eat, you just sit around and you, you fight, basically. You just argue, you I mean, they will get in there, they're dog cussing each other, about the Bible, about the things, spiritual things, and they're, they're, they're going at it, and then it's like, all right, we'll see you next week, do it again. Right? It ain't like our culture where we get all up in our feelings, right? And we get our feelings hurt. Like, I'm never going back there again. No, they like they battle it out, and then they do business, and then, that's what they would do. They'd come together, they'd eat, they'd break down the Bible, they'd discuss, they'd talk about it. This is the kind of community that they had. They they would come into my home, let's eat, let's talk about Jesus, let's talk about the Bible. And this is what Paul's saying, man. He's saying, show kindness to strangers. Bring people into your home. Begin to share the gospel and the Bible and the hope that you rejoice in no matter what comes in your life. So bring them in. Show hospitality. Uh, another way they would do that, Paul would travel from town to town. He was a missionary. He was a church planner, and he didn't have a home, so Christians would bring, them, bring him in to their home. They didn't know Paul, they've heard of Paul, but they'd bring him in, show hospitality. Maybe that's what you need to do. You need to bring in missionaries that are on furlough or, or, or just begin to house someone that, that needs a place for a couple weeks or a month or whatever. And just begin to find ways to show hospitality. Now, I know some of you have the gift of hospitality, Right. Like, if I was coming to your home, I'd come in and everything is just pristine, right? There's, like, dust, dare not settle on anything in your house, right? And I know there's some of you who don't have that gift, and I'd come to your house, and if I looked under the bed or in the closets, like, something would reach out and grab me and pull me in there, right? Like... But it doesn't matter what your gifting is. He said that we should all be working towards showing hospitality uh, to one another. We should be uh, showing kindness to strangers and, and, and talking about the things that matter, namely the gospel, not just barbecue for barbecue's sake, but namely that Christ would be honored and exalted in our homes and in our lives and in everything that we have. Um, okay, let's, let's, let's wrap up here. Verse 14 through 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Okay, so Paul commands, bless those who persecute you. Now, our level of persecution is... Uh, not really on par with the rest of the world. uh, Right now, Boko Haram's in Nigeria killing brothers and sisters in Christ simply for being Christian. ISIS is cutting off heads of believers just because they are Christians. There are believers in Pakistan that if one announcement over an intercom comes, they're going to get a mob at their house It's going to beat them, their wife, and their kids. We don't have that. I think there will come a day, there is coming a day that the believer will have that in this country. But right now, our persecution looks like, and it's hard to even call it persecution, but we may lose a job. Like, you may not want to do the, the, uh, the illegal thing. Like, your boss is asking you to lie on some paperwork or do, do what is contrary to the scriptures. And you say, I can't do that. And your boss says, well, then I can't have you. Okay. Okay. Um, You still kept your head, so all in all, it's a good day. So, But what are we to do when stuff like that happens? Scripture says, even in that persecution, it says, don't hate him. It doesn't say rant about him on Facebook. It says, bless them who persecute you. Now that is contrary to every ideology in the world. That is contrary to every ideology in the world. Bless those who persecute you. Right now in California, there's, uh, I know this because Travis, our Smyrna campus worship leader, sits on a board with California Baptist College out there. And specifically, California is not hiring graduates from the California Baptist School because they come from a Christian university. They're not giving them jobs. And they have what's called the Hope Scholarship. Well, it's not called. It's like our Hope Scholarship. It's called something else. I don't know what it's called. But it's like our Hope Scholarship. They are refusing to give it if you're going to go to that college. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we, we, yeah, I mean, I think we go through legal processes and ask what we're supposed to be doing. But ultimately, we're supposed to bless those. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. And the fact that this surprises us shows us that maybe we have conformed too much to the world. He says, they hate me. The world does. They're going to hate you. So what do you do when they do hate you? You bless them. You bless them. You pray for them. You cry out. Now, is it easy for me to look at what's going on in the world? You have ISIS beheading believers. And is it easy for me to say, God, save that man that just cut off a head of a brother? No, it's not easy. But he says, bless them. Pray for them who persecute you. That is, that is the only way you can do that is if you're regenerated by Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. Now, you got to know the difference between persecution and like stupidity. Like, if someone breaks into your house, I'm not gonna. Someone breaks into my house, I'm not gonna bless him. I'm going to shoot him. I'm gonna bless him with lead. <laughs> I'm gonna to try to hit him in the leg so I could still win him to the Lord. But I'm gonna protect my family, right? It's, it's not. It, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about real persecution for your faith. Things that you are persecuted for because you believe in Christ and you stand on the Bible. That's persecution. You are to bless those people. You're to pray for them. Right. Uh, then he goes on. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I, I think weeping with those who weep is is more natural for us. I think we can do that. I mean, if you can't do that, then, uh, you know, you, you need to begin work on that. Maybe that's uh, if you can't cry with those who cry, weep with those who weep because they're hurting, then, yes, you need to work on that. But the harder one, I believe, is rejoicing with those who rejoice. Because isn't it more natural for us to say things like, they don't deserve that job. I deserve that job. They don't deserve that promotion. They don't deserve that house, car. They, they, they don't, they don't deserve, I should be getting that so much more harder for us in the flesh to begin to rejoice with those who rejoice. To say, I'm truly happy that God has blessed you in this way. And I rejoice with you, brother. I rejoice with you, sister. I I, I rejoice that God has put his hand on you. And and I know he's blessed you because you're going to use it for his kingdom and his glory. I, I rejoice with all of that. I rejoice in your promotion because I know that God is using you to advance the kingdom. I rejoice with you. So we rejoice with those. And then he says, "Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight." Uh, essentially he he's saying to us, "Don't be drunk on yourself. Don't be drunk on yourself." <laughs> Don't think more highly of yourself than you are. Uh, Jay Leno was married for, is married and has been married for a long time and in, the, in the Hollywood, you know, limelight industry. And someone asked him, how was he able to uh, stay married that long? And he said this he said, if you don't fool around, it's not that hard, which should make sense. Uh, I think the key to life is a low self esteem. Believing you're not the smartest or most handsome person in the room. I'm sure that was hard for Jay Leno. And the people who have high self-esteem are criminals and actors. How often do we walk into a place and we begin to say, man, I'm better than anyone here. He's saying, "No, man," and I think this is this is what Paul is trying to communicate too. When he when he says to us, "Don't be haughty, associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight." It's why Christ said, "When you go to a dinner, when you go to a dinner, don't choose the seat of honor." He said, choose the lowest seat. And because if you choose the seat of honor and someone more important than you comes in, how embarrassing would it be to be kicked down the line? But if you sit at the end, the low spot, and they say, no, you come, be honored. Who's, they are the one exalting you. You're not exalting yourself. He's saying, man, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Die to yourself. Put others before yourself. Promote others. Speak highly of others. Don't don't all the time be that one-upper. Like when someone tells a story, you've got a better one. Right? Don't be that guy. Let people enjoy that. Put people before yourself. Serve people. Love your brothers and sisters Pour out for them. Die to yourself. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Never be wise in your own sight. All throughout the scriptures, it says wise uh, is, is, is um, uh, uh, a way for the man in his own eyes. But it, it leads to destruction. So it's just saying... Man, there are ways that we think are right and true in the way we need to go, and we're going we're to they're right in our own way. And if we continue to go that way without getting checked by the Word or the Holy Spirit, we're heading towards destruction. He says, no, man, die to yourself, lower yourself, come to the Scriptures, live as God wants you to live, let Him uh, lift you up. Don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself, and He will exalt you. He will raise you up. Now, again, these are marks of mercy. These are things, these are not ways that you get salvation. These are signs that you have been regenerated by God. And praise God that these are progressive works in us. Again, if, you've, if you're like, if you listen to this sermon and you got through it all and you said, I'm good to go, then here, I will take this off and give it to you. you I will sit there. Like not, We're all working towards this. We're all growing in this. It's all progressive. And we need the Lord to continue to make us like the sun. We need him to continue to grow us in these things. To continue to kill our selfishness. To kill our uh, 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 us thinking highly of ourselves. To kill our greed. To kill our... Uh, distrust of the body or people, that we won't be hospitable, that we won't love the saints. We need God to do a lot of work on our hearts. I need God to do a lot of work on my heart. And so we, as the believers, we come and we say, because of the grace and mercy of God that He has saved us, He has brought us from sin and death and and given us and put us in the kingdom of light and given us salvation and given us His Son, I'm willing to sit before the Word, the Holy Spirit, and the presence of God and say, do work on me, God, because I know I'm not living like Jesus would live and I want to live more like Him. That's our heart for those who are saved. And, I pr- and we need the Lord to help us in that. So let's let's pray and ask Him to do that, Father. We um, we need you. I need you, Father, to help us And, and the, all these machine gun of commands, Father. Um, If this is a plumb line, we see there are several areas that we are off-center. And, God, we need you. We need you to work in us and to make us like Jesus and continue to progressively sanctify us, continue to make us more and more like the Son. And, Father, we know this is a great work for we were the antithesis of everything spoken of in Paul's uh, words there, and and Father, that uh, to bless like the simple command to bless those who persecute us—that is not natural. That is not in us. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need you to continue to work in us to make us like Jesus. Father, we often have greater. Uh, fervor and, and greater passion for, for other things than we do the cross and your mission and vision for the world. Forgive us, break us, convict us, grow us. Help us to live for the one thing that matters and that's Christ crucified. Let that be our message. let it be our message with Our words, let it be our message with our parenting. Let it be our message in our service of the church. Let it be our message with our money. Let it be our message with our time. Let it be our life message. Christ and Him crucified is the way for men to be saved. It's the way that we have life. It's the way we can rejoice in hope, no matter what persecution or tribulation comes. We need you, Father. We need you to make us more like the Son. Help us, Father. Help our unbelief. Help us when we don't give you the value and honor and the place in our lives that you deserve. Help us to love like Christ loved. Help us to live at harmony with one another. Help us just to bring praise and glory to your name. We love you, Christ, and we're thankful for the grace and mercy that you have lavished on us. Let us live with that grace and mercy in mind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.